Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, also known as Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen-65. I'm Pax. And I'm Abigail. Um, this week there's nothing new for the week one update, so it's pretty dry right now, so we're just gonna jump into uh, today's comics discussion. We're going to be reading Sitting in a Tree today. So as all of you know, we're currently reading through uh, Spider-Gwen's main solo series. Last week we read Long Distance, that whole holiday arc where Gwen's struggling to celebrate the holidays while she's coping with her power loss and her dad being in prison. And at the same time, she strikes a deal with Matt Murdock in exchange for becoming Spider-Woman again through his surplus of power-ups. So, Sitting in a Tree, it's a crossover with Brian Michael Bendis' Spider-Man run he did back in 2016. We're going to be reading Spider-Man number 12 to 14, and for Gwen's main run, it's issues 16 to 18. So, basically, um, Miles' father goes missing, and he has to travel to Earth-65, teaming up with Gwen to find Jefferson. We're going to put links in the description of where to buy and what to read. And as always, we're going to put Spider-Gwen's full bibliography and reading list and where to get them, as well as Comixology links. Yeah. So uh, let's let's set up this uh, crossover here a little bit before we get into it, because um, well, Miles is uh, is fairly new to the Spider-Gwen run. He hasn't appeared before yet, uh, and um, he's sort of at a very specific point in his run here. Uh, this is during the uh, Brian, Michael Bendis written, and Sarah, is it Pichelli? Uh yeah, Pichelli. Uh, yeah, Pekeli. Uh, this is uh, during their run. This, like, just following the Secret Wars event. So, uh, the Miles Morales comic title was renamed to just Spider-Man at this point. Um, and they're living on 616, not remembering their lives in the Ultimate Universe uh, where they started out. And um, his family, um, who is all alive at this point, uh, his mother's resurrected following the, that move to Secret War, um, during Secret Wars. Um, his dad is a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, uh, which is relevant here. And his mother is, a, is, is unaware of their secret lives and stuff. So um, that that's uh, that that's also sort of comes up a bit here. Um, and, and more recently in his run, um, Civil War II occurred, and there was a lot of drama over that. There was a lot of tension, um, and it resulted in Miles Morales quitting the Avengers alongside Kamala Khan, who's Ms. Marvel, and Sam Alexander Nova to form the Champions. Um, and that informs, I think, quite a bit of his decision-making here is directly informed by the fact that he just spent a lot of time fighting the adults of Earth-616 over this uh, civil war, and that wasn't fun for him and, and his sort of viewpoint on things. So that's that's just sort of setting up his sort of headspace and background going into this uh, crossover here. We've got six issues uh, to synopsize here. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to run through all of that to give you a lot of the background if you haven't read it or just to uh, jog everybody's memories. Um, so yeah, let's go. The story opens on Miles Morales relating a story of how he met and kissed Spider-Woman of Earth-65 to his roommates Genki Lee and Fabio Medina. On Earth-616, Miles receives a call from his mother Rio explaining that his father Jefferson has gone missing. Miles wonders what he can do to help when Maria Hill, leader of S.H.I.E.L.D., finds him and reveals that his father was working for them again as a way of protecting Miles. 
Maria had sent Jefferson on an off-the-books mission to retrieve some interdimensional technology, but he ended up missing in the multiverse. Maria asks for Miles' help in salvaging the mission and rescuing his father by traveling to Earth-65, the most probable dimension where Jefferson ended up. Once on Earth-65, Miles unsuspectingly ends a fight with the ringer of Earth-65, who, despite having some hang-ups about fighting an older woman, he defeated. The commotion drew Spider-Woman's attention, and the two are able to catch up on each other's situation. Despite Miles initially saying he would continue searching for his dad on his own, Gwen insists that she help him, emphasizing their shared dad-related predicaments and that it was okay to be scared. The two hug. Matt Murdock and the Hands Ninjas suddenly appear. Miles initially tries to run away, but Gwen insists they stay and talk with him. Murdock reveals he is protecting the absent leader Cindy Moon's interests in her criminal organization Silk. Someone with Miles' father's name and face is messing with his plans, so Murdock tasks the two with going to Club Scorpion and killing him. While the two prepare to go to the club, they talk about their problems and trauma. Gwen states that she doesn't really have anyone that she can talk about all of her angst right now outside of Miles. They go to the club, Gwen dressed in her prom dress, and Miles is stuck outside because he is not old enough to go in. In Club Scorpion's VIP room, Gwen finds the superpower technology of Earth-616 stolen by Cindy Moon 65, but is attacked by Dr. Octopus, who throws a mini-attack octopus at her head. However, Miles was close, camouflaged the whole time, and dispatches both Auk and the octopus. The two, now revealed as intruders, have to fight off silk goons before being confronted by a sharply dressed Jefferson, the Scorpion, wielding a sharp hooked cane. Miles lets the would-be villain unmask him to see what his reaction would be, but Jefferson knocks Miles down to the ground, angry that he is intruded into his club and nonplussed by his appearance. Gwen fights back Jefferson and his goons mostly successfully, revealing that Scorpion was wearing high-tech armor underneath his otherwise normal-seeming suit. Scorpion begins fighting back against the two in earnest, blasting Miles out of a window even, but they web him up just as the police arrive. The cops shoot at Miles as he escapes before arresting Jefferson. Miles then panics and initially wants to back for his not-father, but Gwen webs him up trying to calm him down. The police catch up to them on the roof though, and Gwen teleports them through dimensions to get away. They briefly visit a spider island-like dystopia ruled by, quote, Apocalypse, before teleporting back moments later after the cops left. Miles' portal watch dings, signaling to return home for Miles. Gwen offers to join him. In Earth-616, a group of dimension-hopping silk goons in the middle of a heist stealing a special kind of battery are foiled by Peter Parker, Spider-Man. He leaves them tied up for the police where Gwen and Miles later find them. They try interrogating them, but the goons get teleported back to Earth-65 before they can get any information from them. The two speculate that Scorpion Jefferson is actually running Silk now. He needs the batteries to power the super weapons they've been selling to raise funds for their expensive interdimensional teleportation technology they're using. Miles insists they don't go to any adults of the situation as he remains distrustful of the superhero community since Civil War II. The two decide to try and intercept the Silk goons at other places where the special batteries are housed. Much to Miles' embarrassment, Ms. Marvel Kamala Khan shows up worried for Miles' safety after he went off the radar and finds the two of them alone. Gwen invites her to join, much to Miles' further dismay. 
While alone outside one of the battery warehouses, Kamala broaches the nature of Miles and Gwen's relationship. Gwen, flustered, explains that she relates well to Miles, a spider person to talk to that isn't Peter, but exclaims, why can't Miles and I be friends? His Marvel asks that she doesn't hurt him. Impatient after waiting for so long, Gwen decides to try and break into the building to steal the batteries preemptively and to more directly bait Silk, but Miles talks her down from this more aggressive course of action. Due to an error with their teleporters, the Silk crooks end up landing directly next to them after having already snuck in and stolen the batteries. After fighting with them briefly, the goons start getting teleported out. Miles takes one of the goons' portals back while Gwen uses Miles' portal watch to follow. Gwen lands on Earth-65, but nowhere near Miles. Noting that the portal watch Miles was using has previously helped them get where they need to be, Gwen suspects someone on the other side is tracking their progress and trying to guide them. After pleading with it, the watch dings its acknowledgement as it guides Gwen to Miles. Miles once again confronts Scorpion, who, despite initially talking with him for a bit, decides to fight him anyway. Gwen arrives at this moment and the two begin fighting Jefferson and the Silk Goons again. The Goons' gunfire disrupts the Silk interdimensional vortex, teleporting both back out of Earth-65 again. The Watch starts teleporting them across the multiverse. They briefly end up on Spider-Noir's Earth, then a futuristic Earth, then an Earth with a skyline resembling DC Comics' Metropolis, complete with a familiar-looking red streak in the sky, and then an Earth infested by super-powered zombies, before they become separated and then teleported to separate dimensions. Miles ends up back on Earth-65 where he finds Jefferson once again. He throws a punch, knocking him to the ground to realize it's Jefferson-616, his father. Miles' father reveals it was him using a stolen silk portal watch that was guiding them in secret. He convinces Miles that the Scorpion needs stopping as his plans for interdimensional travel would allow him to hold the multiverse hostage so the two go confront him together. Gwen ends up on Earth 8, where she is greeted by a billboard proclaiming the 20th wedding anniversary of Miles and Gwen of that Earth. She finds her way to the Baxter Building, home of the Amazing Eight. Well, Earth 8's Gwen and Miles are currently off-planet, their children Charlotte and Max are home, as well as their babysitter, Earth 8's wizened version of Spider-Ham. After spending some time becoming acquainted with her Earth 8 counterpart's family, Gwen makes an, an emotional speech for them to assist in the fight against Silk, only for Spider-Ham to remain adamant that they couldn't leave their corner of the multiverse. That was until Charlotte makes another plea elaborating that without Spider-Folks helping each other, Earth-8's relative utopia wouldn't exist. Gwen arrives to assist with members of the Amazing Eight in tow, Spider-Ham, Penny Parker, Jerry Drew, Craven, as well as Charlotte and Max, as a united front, they defeat Silk, with Jefferson sending Scorpion to a dystopian Earth, where a drudge-dread-like Arbiter Rio Morales arrests him. With Silk defeated, Miles and Gwen consider the possibility that a romance between them could lead to that utopia and kiss, but Gwen pulls away saying it's way too soon and that she didn't want to be forced by the hand of fate. The arc ends as the two agree to be just friends for now. And that has been sitting in a tree. Yep, yep. That was um, that was a thing which happened and was published by yeah. by Marvel. Um, and, but before yeah. we go 
any further on that something that we always like to do if you've been catching up with us is tally up the total of the stacy swear jar it's kind of weird how throughout six issues she only swore just once she only did it in uh, spider Gwen number 16 when she was being attacked by doc ock and she's like really doc fucking ock so that makes the total in the jar so far $25. Yeah. Yeah, I think actually overall there's less bad, like immediately bad things happening to Gwen in this arc. Like, I think in previous ones there's a lot of character moments where, um, you know, they're quite explicitly negative, which prompts her, and, or, or like bad moments in the action, which specifically prompts her to... Um, to swear but but here it's, it's maybe a bit lighter on that sort of stuff yeah um, i think it's because i'm i'm just gonna call it the parker look because i'm not sure if there's anything for gwen but it seems like that miles has the parker look throughout this event yeah he gets he gets a raw deal i think in in a lot of the a lot of the fight scenes um yeah he takes he takes some hits um Actually, I think, like, overall, just on that note about character work, I think, like, after two pretty heavy issues as far as uh, character moments are concerned, uh, two pretty heavy arcs, so uh, the previous one we did Long Distance, um, the one we did before that Weapon of Choice, um, they had lots and lots of character moments and character scenes, whereas uh, even though there's, like, six issues here in this crossover, it is mostly action and, like, mostly stuff happening to the characters. Like, overall, I found there's i think less character moments to dissect than than what we had in in the previous arc for instance yeah i would agree yeah because again this is mostly about trying to find where jefferson davis is but at the same time you're fighting his doppelganger yeah Mm. i think i think it is um it is more of a standard let's stop the 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 multiverse from being destroyed type plot as 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 so often these sort of come up but yeah it's um I think that's that is ultimately what it came down to, which I think was a bit of a shame. Um, like, there's lots of moments. Uh, as I say, there's lots of moments. I think there's like two or three moments where it, Miles is specifically trying to get through to Jefferson '65 and trying to appeal to his better nature, at least by you know being like, "Oh, hey, I'm your son from another Earth. Things can be different," um, which which don't really go down well. And I would have been more interested, I think, if they explored that. Uh, in, in the end, Jefferson '65 ends up getting a really quite i think like his he gets sent to judge dread like arbiter rio's world um which i I thought was interesting like they didn't want to you know keep him around and send him to prison or anything like it's kind of like uh flipping the switch because you know how um on the surface jefferson's a cop and uh this time rio's the cop yeah it is and um yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, I thought. I thought it was. I mean, I mean, I like the. I like the Judge Dread reference, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's. Um, I suppose. I suppose. I suppose they didn't have a huge amount of the chance because, uh, you know, like it wasn't like um, a decision they elected to do after the fight was over. It was something they did during the fight, like while while Jefferson was still like fighting them. So I guess it made sense that they did that. But yeah, it still, it still feels a bit almost harsh to send them to the sort of sort of fascist type dystopia that Judge Dread lives in. Um, but. Oh well, I guess. <laughs> and just and happens to be confronted by how would I put this? Um his wife's doppelganger, but at the same time, Scorpion doesn't have a wife, well, to our knowledge. No. No, um yeah, no, I oh no, that's um hmm. Yeah, I he it wouldn't mean as much to him, I guess. Well although, although I have to say like um Jefferson six one six, um, 
is incredibly like familiar with the multiverse here. Like he is sending people through portals throughout this arc here, and and he knows like so he 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 knows that there is an an Earth where his wife is Arbiter Rio, and um and is going around like arresting people and 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 stuff in that weird sort of dystopia. And he knows all of these other Earths. He knows about Earth 8, where Miles grew up. And, and like, this is all stuff that he is responsible for guiding them to. Um, and I find it, like, I guess kind of... Um, yeah. yeah, maybe the multiverse is probably standard shield studying that you need to know. Maybe, but yeah, it's... um, It, it feels like it's, it's a lot of... Yeah, it's a lot of um, info that he's got here that... Um, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I thought it was quite interesting that sort of reveal because it it doesn't. They don't really reveal immediately. Like the the web watch, web watch is it web watch portal watch, whatever. It dings a lot, and uh, it's clear there's clearly some communication there. Um, and yeah, it's a bit of a reveal. Even Gwen's nickname for Jefferson was Ding. Yeah, right, right. So it's um that's sort of the communication they got from it. So they didn't really know it was Jefferson behind it. So it's um. Yeah, but he's very. But if you go back and you read this, knowing that it is indeed him, like listening in on all of these character moments, on all of like these very personal moments, and like this whole arc, he's essentially present, uh, you know, throughout through this watch thing. And yeah, I wonder what he would make of all of this. But there isn't really enough time left in the crossover for him to really like react to acquiring all of this knowledge i suppose and having had this big of a role if that makes sense yeah but the um there's a sort of very single-minded approach that miles takes to try to rescue his dad which i thought was quite interesting like almost to the point of impracticality where he's not looking for help and he's actively trying to push help away he doesn't look for help from any of the adults of his universe. He doesn't look for. He doesn't want. He doesn't want even Kamala help to help them. He doesn't really want Gwen to come along. Like Gwen has to convince him to let her come along in most of these scenarios. Um, so it's a uh, yeah. He's he's not in a great place himself. Um, I think he, he does does feel like he's pushing a lot of people away in this crossover. The same thing goes for Gwen too, because other than Murdoch or her dad, to an extent. She refuses to go to anyone else for help. Yeah, and um, yeah, they're definitely. In fact, there's a lot of sort of specific things about where they've chosen. Well, I guess they, they've sort of found themselves on their path where you know they're pushing people away. They're uh, in this particular arc here, and Miles is obviously stuck without his dad. Gwen is also stuck without her father, and n- neither of them are really going to their support groups. Like Gwen's not going to the Mary Janes. Uh, Miles isn't using the champions. And like, really, I think for either of these two people to sort of properly deal with their trauma and their teen angst that they have, they really do need to reach out to those people. And um, yeah, no, I think it's um, it's one of those things, I guess. Yeah, and um, I'm kind of going on a pivot here. Even though it seems like Gwen doesn't feel like going to other people for help, it seems like when she's being enlisted for something, she'll go there right away because, for example, uh, she referenced Clone Conspiracy where uh, she was Kane's partner throughout the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, we should do that in the future. I, I don't think we'll do it as part of the main run here, but definitely we should do clone. We should do a Clone Conspiracy episode because Gwen has a big role in that. 
but yeah, like absolutely, I think Gwen's sense of uh, duty to others is is uh, is still sort of there. I think um, in a way that her sense of needing to care for her own um, emotional well being isn't. Um, and, and it sort of comes through like she basically meets Miles and and she completely sort of just starts, I guess, all of this sort of she's been holding back. She's actually got somebody to talk to about it. And I think a lot of a lot of this is is hers just sort of being carried along by by her emotions of it and the, the timing of it more than more than anything, uh, if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Would, yeah. Would it seem like that their emotions are kind of clouding their judgment? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, they're just sort of, for, for sure, I think they're not really practically predisposed for any kind of long-term relationship, really, all things considered. And um, they're not, I, I, I guess we should address the elephant in the room here as well with the um, with the yeah. ages. Yeah, because yeah, it's been explicitly stated several times that Gwen is 19. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people will say Gwen was aged down for this event. Um, as far as I can tell, Gwen has always been nineteen. Uh, she's she's the age that Gwen Stacy of Earth six one six died at, which was about nineteen twenty ish. Um, and and Gwen here is what like um just about to go to college, and is sort of stated in a couple of well, I say I say quite explicitly implied on multiple times that her and the Mary Janes are, are nineteen years old, and um, th- there's nothing really to say otherwise within this run it fits the framing of um where she is in life and and such where she is you know she's she's definitely at least college age 19 fits into that and 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 they 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 mentioned it in last week's arc uh they mentioned it in the spider gwen annual the mary janes are 19 so i do think that's fixed um but the the one point that i do think there is a bit more merit in is the idea that maybe miles was aged up for the event um which would does seem more likely because there is an age gap between these two and it, it it's awkward enough for it to actually get mentioned in the dialogue because they've written in a, a club scene and then at some point somebody's had to go oh wait miles isn't old enough to go to a club you know he's a, he's a minor and in his first run uh back in the day he was 13 um and then there is a chronological break and then he's 14 and there's been secret wars and if you read interviews i found this one for instance with empire weekly with brian michael bendis where he states that Miles is about 15 or 16. And and that's sort of their starting point for this run, where they started out thinking of Miles as a 15-year-old. And then at some point somebody went, Oh, we've got a we've got a pair him with with Gwen who is who is 19, and they've now had to sort of it, it does feel like perhaps they aged him up to this sort of barely legal uh window where they could feasibly have a relationship uh where he's um he's nearly 17 um which feels icky it feels very very icky and it, it does come through when reading this arc i think yeah because do we even have to mention the new york legality right that's the thing at the point we have to actually google the legality of two characters relationships um and um you, you know you you it, it it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that right like it does feel tremendously awkward and and like in in the in the story i suppose that's the text of it right like they are they are going for an awkward relationship but even then um the covers make it worse the marketing uh two of the covers done for the spider-man run uh one where they're getting married and another one on the kiss which 
didn't even go that well in the end, I suppose, um, definitely I think exacerbated it because that was that was everybody's initial fan reactions to it, and they you know they're looking at it and going, and people are going, well, hold up, I thought I thought Miles was fifteen, you know, that was the, that was the fan perception of it, and it hadn't caught up with this, uh, I guess. Um, internal re-understanding of miles's age uh that marvel comics had done so that they could fit him into this crossover um which, which it just feels ugh, I don't, it's not it's not great it's not great yeah because well at least they sort of kind of rectified that in into the spider-verse where gwen in contrast is just 15 months older than miles yeah, yeah, no, I, I do think that's an important distinction to make. Like, um, here in the comic, obviously, there's a lot of icky nature to the, the way they've done the ages, but in Into the Spider Verse, they they do a much younger Gwen, and their ages are much more um like it's it's more reasonable um, yeah, age gap. Because yeah, fifteen months is much more reasonable to be in a relationship than three years, and one of them is barely legal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and and also, I would I would argue that like in Into the Spider Verse, um, for all the issues I think I have with maybe the way they used Gwen in that film, the chemistry that that character has with Miles uh, is a bit more organic, and it, and it just definitely feels more constructive. I think the kind of relationship they're going for, whereas uh, here it it does sort of feel like Gwen is a is a bit of a mess, and sort of puts a lot of that on this relationship, not relationship that she has with Miles, and um, like she says something to the effect of here a, a spider person she can talk to who isn't peter and and like the reasons that she's given here don't feel like mature reasons to start a relationship with somebody and it, it, it is more the case of and i think perhaps they could have done this route where she needs a friend um, because th- that is what she needs within the context of the comic as well she needs a friend somebody she can rely on and and that perhaps would have been more appropriate if if this had been reworked as a as, as just a more standard uh, non-romantic crossover between these two spider characters who do admittedly have a lot in common, have sort of similar, uh, like similarish status quos going on at this point in time. Um, and, 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 and do have some kind of fun dynamic where they feel a sense of duty to one another as, as spider people and as, and, and as friends that I think works because there are some nice character beats in this, but, but in terms of the, you know, like, taking a 15 year old character and sort of aging them up so that they can be with a 19 year old character in your story is it's just it's not it's not great it's really it's really really not great um no no like if miles had um had been given his 18th birthday or just maybe if they just aged him up earlier on in his run like instead of making mm -hmm. him a 13 year old or have him 15 like peter when he got his powers at the beginning I think that would have been much more reasonable. Yeah, no, I'm. I, I I could definitely see them coming back to this in like ten years' time, or even even sooner than that, maybe, and and trying this again, but without all of this sort of weird baggage that comes with the characters' ages being so different. Like to have a scene in the comic book where Miles can't go somewhere because he's not old enough, but Gwen can, is, oof, um, and. I, that's not great, but but to have I think, um, you know, maybe maybe some time. But at the same time, like like Gwen doesn't have many, but Miles is plenty. I would say more promising romantic interests or like age appropriate um, relationship and more age appropriate one. Yeah, right. Uh, him and uh, Kamala Khan, I think, 
have a much better chemistry. Uh, the ship is much stronger. The fans are there for that one. Um, and, and, and that's just one instance. Miles, Miles often has um, more romantic interests um, by far and more ships than Gwen 65 as, ever has really, uh, if we're being fair. Who's his most recent one? Starling? Or is it Barbara? I need to read the Ahmed run. Um, I absolutely do. Yeah, there there is a new one at the moment, though, right? Yeah, like in that run. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's he, Miles is. It's not like like when Gwen fans talk about it. It's like it's it's really. Uh, we're not looking at too many different romantic interests for Gwen. Like there's usually what like Mary Jane, uh, Harry Osborne. Yeah, she briefly pursued Harry, but she just decided mm-hmm. to drop it. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come to Harry, I suppose, in, in later episodes, and uh, and and there's Miles here, and really, it's just not a lot, and it's it's not a great situation. It's not um, I, I would I would argue it's it's not a it's not a ship that 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 should really be staying afloat in the comics at the moment, by any stretch of the imagination. And I think the way they market it, marketed it specifically, where they really lent into the romantic aspect, and when you read the story, it's very non-romantic, and when the romantic stuff does come up, it is textually like as the story indicates an awkward romance um then then that feels there's a weird dissonance there, there's a weird disconnect and, and they marketed it in that way so heavily that like if you read the champions run which was ongoing at the same time um the way that it was written the writer called gwen miles's girlfriend like he gets miles to say uh, to talk about gwen in the context of her being his girlfriend even though if you read this arc uh you would not come away with that impression. But if you looked at all the marketing, if you look at all the covers, and if you look at like the fan discourse that sort of, I guess, initially preceded all of this, um, then then that might feel the case. Uh, if it seemed to be the case, sorry. Um, so, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's a, a lot of strange decisions being made, but the fact that at some point, it seems that like a group of writers and slash or editors had to sit around, and talk about how they were going to have to age a character up and talk about the ages of characters so that they could get them to be together in this comic book just feels off. Like, it is not... Yeah, I'm just wondering what went on in that editor's room because, like, they're the ones who have to approve everything. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not... It's not great, and and, and I realize that um, a lot of people were involved with it, but and, and we I suppose we don't really mention it enough, but the, the writer of Spider-Gwen, uh, Jason Latour, uh, in the time since this comic was released, of course, uh, has had outstanding allegations about his conduct at Comic Cons revealed. Um, one of the main ones which came out from it was somebody who is um, half Jason Latour's age, saying that he acted inappropriately towards her at one of the one of the comic conventions. Um, and uh, it's um, yeah, he, like he kept prepositioning her and stuff. And... Yeah, you know, like uh, like an up and coming up and coming twenty something, um, like uh, industry professional who finding themselves very uncomfortable around this person, and I, I have to wonder if uh, if Jason Latour's personal ignorance, uh, de- deliberate ignorance in this regard, perhaps you know, influenced the the poor handling of this relationship here in the comic. Um, it, it it doesn't like all around not not great on that front. Yeah, yeah, this was very, very freaky deaky, to put it that way. Yeah, um, but yeah, there's um, I guess there's other stuff, uh, in the comic that we should talk about as well. Aside from yeah, but I also wanted to uh, mention. Remember how, um, allegedly some plot details for Into the Spider Verse two. One of them revolves around, um, Miles and Gwen's budding relationship. Yeah. 
and and it felt like you know if I was being honest like I I could I could see them reworking sitting in the sitting in a tree to fit that like um I think there's a lot of conceptually fine stuff with this arc that that could be adapted like with the adjusted ages with uh, maybe tighter writing with more character moments um I could see this being quite a fun arc to adapt um even if it is quite weak overall as it's been presented to us so far um yeah i'm thinking so yeah yeah if that if the uh men in black mind wiper was real i think i'd like to mind wipe this oh really okay yeah um that's fair yeah um i think we'd all just... like to mind wipe this yeah it's um yeah it it yeah it's not it's not great it's not great yeah so what else is in this? There's also a lot of action in Earth 8 and the fifth issue in the arc. So that's Spider-Gwen number... Um, 18? 17, maybe? 18 is the last, last yeah, one. 17 to 18, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. 17 was when she first arrives. Oh, okay. 18 is when she gets to spend time with them. Yeah, and like, here's the thing. This is not the last we see of Earth 8. Like, Earth 8 sticks around. And, I mean, I don't know. Like, it feels... It feels strange because I'm like I'm trying to work out what it's trying to say because obviously they don't want Miles and Gwen to follow this uh, hand of fate being forced together. Like the the conclusion of this arc is Gwen pulling away from the kiss and saying, "Hold up, this doesn't feel right. I don't really want to do it like this. Maybe one day, but not right now." And and explicitly rejecting Earth Eight as a potential future for them um, as it stood then. But this idea that if if Miles and Gwen um, get married, um, then they will bring about a New York utopia. Uh, it seems kind of insane. Like basing the uh, integrity of one city on a marriage. I'm like, mm -hmm. what? Yeah, I I'm not quite sure where they were going with that. The the character designs they do for the Earth Eight, uh, like the Amazing Eight, are really fun. I thought those were cool. Um, and, and, you know, like, I'm not opposed to like having, cause there are so many dystopian alternate realities. I'm not, I'm not opposed to having one that's a bit lighter, but there's this really like, really like dark idea that, um, like if Gwen doesn't marry Miles, then this is the future that awaits New York. And the truth is Gwen doesn't marry Miles and in the book, things get worse, right? <laughs> like as things go forward, things get worse. And, and and even for Gwen now, and and for New York sixty five in the current continuity, things are bad. Like things are not traveling towards this utopia that we see. Um, so I have to wonder what's up with that. But you got to remember that Earth eight is just an alternate reality. You know, obviously different circumstances. So I'm yeah. guessing that the uh, native Miles and Gwen of Earth eight, they were probably never travelers from other dimensions. They were just oh. there the whole time. No, no. Uh, they they say it here uh, in like explicitly the war for the web of life and destiny. The Spider Women, Mom meeting Dad. That's from Charlotte Stacy, right? Who is who's one of the kids of Miles and Gwen? And it's implied that yes, they they met in an interdimensional event, um, and that's how they that's how Miles and Gwen of Earth Eight married. So the implication being that there was like another Earth that one of them was from um, that they met up through. Um, and presumably another Earth where that spider ham of Earth 8 would have come from as well. So it's either that one of them is native to Earth 8 or maybe they mm -hmm. just retired to Earth 8? 
or, or both yeah i suppose both could be from from a way earth eight but yeah they they it is absolutely like it's an interdimensional thing and the idea is that um the point at which this reality diverged and they come back to it the point at which this reality diverged is when gwen goes let's not be a thing to to miles and that that feels very strange because obviously like that does feel somewhat contradictory to the overall message about you know forging your own path here that they go with um but yeah it's i suppose we'll elaborate a bit more on it because they do do other stuff with earth 8 and uh particularly the watcher of earth 8 that sort of comes up more with them like uh the life and times of gwen stacy that i suppose we'll, we'll circle back around to some of that yeah because we get to see the spider kids again yeah we do yeah and they're nice they're fun they got some fun character designs so yeah um we'll we'll get to uh talking about that when we come back to it yeah i'm not i'm not a huge fan of earth 8 like i could if they did like i said adapt parts of this for um into the spider-verse 2 for into into the spider-verse 2 if they adapt to parts of this for spider-verse 2 i would rather than take the earth 8 stuff out personally because it's just not it's not it's not i don't think it landed i i and and i'm not opposed to gwen traveling to different earths like i see some people say stuff like gwen should always be on earth 65 i think gwen is an interdimensional person or somebody who's a bit free to travel around is fine i think it's fine when she visits 616 or to see jessica drew and and research stuff um and i yeah and that element of her that's going to be some like very essential when we go down the line with further story arcs yeah right and and i and i think you know always it's felt like gwen's sort of freedom to travel between dimensions is a is is a is a boon for her and 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 sort of allows a bit more of them like almost self-conscious way of storytelling because gwen is aware of the other outcomes that have befallen other gwen's like the irony and the creative sort of uh tension behind her character is able to be acknowledged in some way within the text of the comic uh, because she's aware of of these other possibilities, but Earth Eight specifically, I think, was constructed in such a strange way that it doesn't land in the same way as other Earths that we see. Yeah, um, yeah I yeah. wanted to point out an interesting thing about um, Max and Charlotte's last name. You know how it's hyphenated as Morales Stacy. Yeah, the du- the double barrel. Yeah, and the reason why it's that way, like their father's and then their mother's name last, it's oh. because of um Puerto Rican naming customs. All right, okay, so they they take what well, they take the, yeah, the mother's name because yeah, according to what I read in uh, Puerto Rico and uh, some other Spanish countries, the kids they mostly take their mother's last name when they're referring to themselves. So in legal documents, it would actually be their father's last name first, and then their mother's maiden name, but when they're referring to themselves casually, uh, they'll usually just use their mother's last name. You know, like how um, Miles, he takes his mom's name, Morales. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he does, isn't he? Um, yeah, it's because uh, Rio's from uh, Puerto Rico. Oh, well, that's um, that's really interesting. Thanks for the, um, thanks for the insight there. Yeah, no, I thought... um. The character designs though were, were, were cool for those characters and and i i think like i think i think maybe jason latour like planned out more for these characters maybe didn't use them as much yeah, especially with the designs for the amazing eight yeah because they those those uh like the other ones like outside of charlotte and max they they, they don't get used like that jerry drew that craven that penny parker like none of those um shop ever again so i i i, I wonder what was up with that and and even even in this comic they're only in it for a few panels like three three panels maybe like the amazing eight they're in yeah they're just there for backup against the scorpion yeah 
yeah um yeah some in- interesting uh choices being made there um it's like yeah relying on your future kid for help it's like they haven't even been born yet in your main timeline yeah yeah i i yeah it's it's and, and they use that for humor as well like the way they call they call miles dad and he's like he has like no idea what they're talking about yeah it's kind um, of like during the flash season four and five where their future daughter comes back but barry and iris didn't know that she was their daughter at first oh i see wait have you watched the flash season five or season four i think i dropped off maybe like season three um back in the day um yeah i, I haven't I haven't kept up enough with those shows, I don't think. <laughs> it's because, yeah, during season five, Nora, their alternate future adult daughter, decides to stay with them for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, that's got to be... Yeah, I, this feels like a very comic book thing to happen, yeah. to be fair. But she ends up getting erased from the timeline at the end of season five. Oh, well, that's rough. <laughs> but she's going to come back in the guest role like along uh, with Bart Allen. I saw the promotional images for that. That looked interesting. And how they made him Barry and Iris's son instead of grandson. I'm probably thinking that was because um, they've already had a kid who's called them mom and dad. And now it'd be super weird for another kid just to call them grandma and grandpa. Yeah, I guess complex. I think um, the time travel family shenanigans, it's um, yeah. Because being in your 30s and being called grandma and grandpa by your future grandkid, like, what? Yeah, that threw, threw you for a loop a bit, I think. that. Um... Yeah, it's like, talk about a life crisis. Definitely, yeah. Because you haven't even had your midlife crisis yet, and yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, that is, there is a very existential element of that to, like, time travel in the Flash, or, you know, even, like, the, the, the dimension hopping that we see here in the comic, like, you know, how much uh, free free will do you have when you can see, like, uh, this other you doing other things and, you know, it, it, are you in control of your actions? Are things predestined? And I, I think that specific crisis uh that you mentioned is is sort of what compels gwen to not go through with a relationship there at the end yeah because the future is fluid it's always changing exactly exactly and i think um definitely that um that that comes through um in in this arc and future ones is is the idea of um them rebelling against what is expected in terms of the arc and the direction maybe other people would expect it to go in. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, um, I'm just trying to remember if Charlotte and Max ever called Gwen 65, like as a joke, mom, because they mentioned how they get Gwen's all the time. I think they did. Maybe not. Maybe in future arcs they do. But yeah, it's 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 a really strange thing when they do that. Uh, for sure. I think it's, um, yeah, because she's not, because she, she wouldn't be, their mother and, and, and Miles isn't their father, but yeah, I guess, I guess it's the whole existential thing again. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, they're just a term of endearment for them, but at the same time, you know, they know that they're not their actual parents. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's, it's a weird situation. So, uh, what else has this gone in, in the comic that's worth talking about? Um, I'll tell you what I did like that wasn't 
um, terrible. Uh, was uh, Scorpion Jefferson Davis sixty five? Why is his name that? Why? Why is his name? Because he doesn't have a tail. He's not. Well, he is dressed in green like Gargan. Oh right, yeah, Scorpion. Yeah. Um. So he does have high tech armor. Um. He does have the cane with the hook on. Yeah, I think the uh, cane's supposed to represent the scorpion's tail. Yeah, like he does in in like very small ways have a scorpion motif. Like if he were to appear again, like I would imagine that like they'd maybe lean into it a bit more. But to like introduce the character, they definitely dialed back on it. Like he he he, he like shows up and he just looks like a regular sort of guy in in a suit with uh, glasses and fedora and like throughout that initial fight they have with him like it becomes increasingly apparent that you know he's capable of of, of taking more punishment and stuff and then it's sort of revealed at the end that he's got like the armor all around his chest and um yeah he's um he's quite a tough opponent actually like he's a physical match for gwen and and for miles and and it's only um through their combined efforts or when or, or when he gets tricked through that portal it's, yeah, it's been demonstrated that uh, scorpion has super or at least enhanced speed or reflexes yeah when he catches gwen like there's that moment in in spider-man number 12 where gwen goes to kick him and then like jump over his head and he's able to like reach behind and grab her ankle and there's that sort of really scary moment where you realize he he isn't just a regular dude you know he, he's got other stuff going on and and i think the way they they reveal that and, and they do use the subtler uh subtler appearance that he has um to sort of make um not not just um the reader but also gwen and, and miles maybe underestimates him a bit um because you know even though generally speaking if they're fighting in earnest Gwen and Miles, you know, win. Um, that sort of underestimation gives him several moments where he's able to get uh, the upper hand, I would say. This never occurred to me until now, but don't you notice that Scorpion civvies, I'm just going to call it civvies, it looks like he's kind of like a private investigator because that's what a cliche PI would uh, dress like in the movies and stuff. And wouldn't you think that's a reference to Matt Gargan's PI background? Matt Gargan was a PI? Yeah, before he became the Scorpion, uh, Jameson hired Gargan as a PI. Let's stay I learned. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that um, that is uh, Jefferson 65's, his sort of style. Um, it, at least, like, like you say, his, um, his normal non-costumed look. So, yeah, definitely... Um, I think that would be a neat callback if that were the case. Um, like if they were to revisit uh, the Scorpion again and then give him a backstory saying he used to be a PI before going into Silk. Maybe. Um, I, I could see them keeping more standard elements of Jefferson's backstory from 616, though, like um, his involvement with um, S.H.I.E.L.D. or his involvement with um, organized crime, anything, anything to that effect would would I think maybe work a bit better to understand how he became, I guess, the leader of Silk, um, which, which seems a bit ambiguous here. Cause is, is he the leader of Silk here? Like, is that his job? Is that what he's become now? Probably de facto leader since Cindy is in prison trying to usurp her position. Yeah. Me, me, I, I sort of got that impression. Cause like you start reading this, um, this crossover here and, and the way that Murdoch frames it is that like, you know, he's protecting Cindy Moon's interests in Silk, so it's sort of like he's running it almost. Um, and and the way he sort of implied that in the past, 
but then you start reading and you realize that all of the Silk agents are working for Jefferson and, and all of the Silk stuff is being done by Jefferson and you realize it's more a case of it's an internal thing where perhaps Cindy Moon sees Jefferson being successful and, and, and you know finally carrying out this plan for multiversal domination that she initially had um, and you know sort of would rather Silk not do that and rather than not be somebody in charge of Silk doing that. Um, and, and so elects to have him, have him killed, basically. Um, and that's what, that's, it's more of an internal power play, I guess, as opposed to a, a specific target that, like an opponent, that they need eliminating. It's, it's more just keeping Cindy's spot vacant until she's out of prison. Yeah, because... Um... She seems to be in there for a very long time. Do you think there's going to be any chance of her getting out or at least escaping? I, I definitely want to see her used in a comic again. Like, I think she's got a lot of um, interesting character work that would lay uh, very interesting foundations for future stuff. Um, but for now, unless we get a new comic with um, Gwen, I, I find that unlikely. Um, yeah. Because um, I think sometimes we used to refer to her as Gwen's Otto Octavius in some way. Yeah, I think uh, as a as very much an intellectual opponent and, and being a very cerebral person, her um, I think her editorial name was uh, it's not just Cindy sixty five, but also like Superior Silk. Superior Silk, which is very evocative of Superior Spider Man, and and that sort of a vibe that she has. I I came away with with that impression that you know because because um, she thinks she's better than gwen or even better than prime cindy yeah for sure and, yeah and, and driven by that sense of ego in the same way as well that makes sense but we'll see what the future holds i guess yeah um who else do we get was we get uh the ringer of earth 65 yeah i think the ringer is like an obscure villain that i've never heard of until recently yeah, more of a like, uh, like one of those B-list villains that shows up to rob a bank in the first five minutes that Spidey has to stop usually. Um, like that's sort of where the Ringer lives, like with the Shocker and a, and a Stilt Man and a couple of others, I suppose. Um, but the idea of the Ringer is that um, the Ringer has this kind of technology that lets um, like physical rings shoot out, and here we see uh, a Ringer who is is running, I guess, like more of a gang. Um, and is running uh, has, has like more like specific territory that she's working and Miles sees her and like initially assumes she's being accosted by the gang and that she's not like yeah. directing them um, and, and that leads him into this fight where he's really not wanting to fight her um, even as she like just destroys a lot of stuff uh, trying to get him although he does eventually win I suppose I'm just looking up the ringer of 616 right now. Um, yeah, you knew he was a man, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he actually wears a super suit. He he almost looks like a cyborg, but no, it's just a super suit. Yeah, he he's much more yeah visibly like tech oriented in a way that like Ringer 65 isn't. Yeah. Uh, and he's yeah. dead. All right. When did he die? Stegron uh, damaged his cybernetics, and he died in Thunderbolts number 56. Okay, well. So, 20 years ago. Oh, wow, he's been dead for a long time. Wow. Guess you'll, uh... Yeah, alright, today I'll end. Um, yeah, he's a he's a strange villain, like, yeah. all things considered. Uh, it's a weird gimmick. 
it, it, it like um, you, you try and think about the science of it and it doesn't really um make a lot of sense um so it's like um i don't know one of those things i guess yeah who else do we have here miss marvel yeah i guess a little bit and you know we touched on it but i do i do feel that uh kamala khan and and it does come through in her scene that she has uh with gwen here is is the sort of superior uh relationship out of the two for miles the way uh she has like his best interests at heart and she has that moment where she like says don't hurt him to gwen and i thought that was quite a nice moment and um yeah i think kamala's is it kamiles is that the name of the ship Kamile, I'm not sure if it's Kamiles or or just simply Spider Marvel. Oh no, Spider Marvel was Kamala's ship for Peter and Carol getting together. Yeah, which was it? Which was a real thing uh, for for a while there, I think. But but alas, uh... yeah, that was when the Venom symbiote possessed Carol, who was Miss Marvel at the time, and then admitted that she yes. had a tiny crush on Peter. Yes, that era. Yeah, and I think that was um that lasted up until like around the time that, that uh, Carol became Captain Marvel. Um, but yeah, like, um, I think for for Kamala and Miles, it's Kamala's, um, because both of their uh, superhero monikers are legacy characters, you end up getting them confused. So just use the first names there. But yeah, that's, um, that's a, I think, definitely more compelling here than than what Miles and, and Gwen ever ever were really it's um one of those things i suppose but something funny is that in the marvel spider-man cartoon I'll, there's a lot of people that ship peter and kamala there since they're the same age oh that's not oh that's mm, mm, no 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 i'm not no. not here for that nope 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 no nah, no no not doing that one nope. no no besides peter hooked up with mj at the uh, end of season three so yeah there's there's that as well i guess but I do see the potential for Kamiles. Yes. Yeah, no, that is fun. And and I, actually, I would recommend if anybody uh, is enjoying like Miles Morales and Kamala Khan and, and sort of those sort of characters, champions, um, any of the champion stuff is excellent. Um, there's been really, really good stuff from, from Wade and uh, is, is it Jim Zub? Jim Zub. Jim Zub. Um, uh, more recently, uh, E-Viewing. Currently, is it Danny? Danny Lore. Danny Lore, yep. Yeah, you got it. Uh, that's right. So yeah, Danny Lore is is writing it now, and and, and like all of these uh, eras of champions are really good, and and they revolve around that um, that core trio of Kamala, Miles, and Sam Alexander, and then they sort of they fill in the supporting cast with other really cool people. Um, and it's it's certainly definitely it's very um it's socially conscious. Um, like a lot of the time, I think team-ups can be very uh let's save the world from this big new threat but the champions is you know it's that admittedly but a lot a lot of them are sort of like this like thing is going off and and they they just go to help them and and it's um you know like there's um one where they you know they help build uh you know community projects and that sort of a thing as well like you know they use the superpowers and i think a much more um, interesting sort of framework um definitely yeah i think just think more of them as the friendly neighborhood junior avengers right i mean i mean the young avengers are uh, are a thing for sure but the champions have this sort of like international effort that they lead to sort of try and like a brand they try and build up to inspire like activism and stuff it's very um yeah it's it's very 
there's a really interesting scope to it um, and it's not like like political political but it's like in a in a sort of definitely in a more sort of basic way but but it, but in a way that's still compelling um and definitely i recommend that run uh if if you sort of uh enjoy these characters and stuff uh it, like or even like spider Gwen comics in general like champions definitely is in the same this sort of targeted at a similar demographic and it's got a similar sort of um genre and tone to it um i'd i'd say so yeah it's um yeah definitely a good comic book that i'd recommend for sure uh what else have we got on the agenda today the art yeah the art um i really 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 like justin ponce's colors in the spider-man issues they were really nice especially the stuff with dimensional portals um and and the cityscapes for earth 65 like i'm i'm not often a fan of like like often earth 65 gets gets colored and it gets colored like any other new york um and i think uh there are specific prompts for it in the script that you can see uh in some of the speech that the writers make but they do think about it and they 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 do actively make the background and the cityscape and the look of earth 65 look unique because it has it does have different colors like they have different light bulbs and they have you know and that, that sets that sort of neon tone that, that renzi's color scheme i guess initially set up but that is like canonically how earth 65 looks and so keeping that consistent uh Ponce really really sort of i think nails nails all of that that all looks fantastic um really really does but yeah we have to say that you know justin Ponsor is sadly no longer with us yeah that's a real shame Loss. Yeah. Who else works on it? Oh, there's a, there's a neat thing I noticed about um, Sarah Pacelli's art. Who's who 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 does have really like uh, nice lines? I really like all of that work. Um, particularly all the stuff in the rain. Like it looks very dramatic. There's quite a few scenes with that. But uh, the the little thing I noticed was um, like when Gwen is initially introduced in that first uh, issue of Spider Man, Spider Man number twelve. Um, you look at her shoes. Uh, they they look they sort of look like. I don't know. Like they don't look like chucks. They look more like. How would you describe those? Um, they kind of look like heels without the heels. Yeah, sort of like that. And then if you look in uh the next issue that Pikelli drew, which is Spider-Man number thirteen, um, where there are several close-ups of Gwen's feet again, you can see that she's drawing uh the chucks differently, like. Like they look like the actual pumps now, and I thought that was interesting. Where like the bit where um, there's, there's a scene where uh, where she kicked the scorpion at the back of the head. Yeah, you can like clearly see that like Pikelli's like drawn us like more accurate looking shoes to what Gwen wears, and I thought that was quite interesting. Or, um, or when Scorpion grabs her by the ankle. Yeah, because no, no, like I remember initially seeing that, seeing that, and thinking. Oh no! If we got an artist who draws um, Gwen's shoes wrong, and then like about an issue in like the artist fixes it, and I and I wish that happened more with these crossovers because uh, reading Last Remains hurt when like there was some really inconsistent shoe drawing. The full ballet flats were drawn by one artist at one point. Yeah, like the um, other day, didn't you tweet that you die a little bit inside when you see artists draw Gwen with ballet shoes? Yeah, I do, and I and I appreciate they used it in in the film and stuff, you know, and it like very much exists there. But like overall, to Gwen's character and her personality and like what she does for a living and for fun, and and stuff, like it doesn't, that really doesn't fit her. Like it, not 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 nearly as much as having like a pair of more like functional looking Chuck Taylors. Is. I know it's a small thing, but it is a big thing. Like the way that Gwen like. Gwen is characterized is done so much visually um and, and the shoes are such an important part of that i think 
um, in, in my opinion, anyway. Because her most recent artist would be Flaviano, and he did justice to the Chucks. Yes, yeah, no, I remember that. And he even did, like, um, he even did another piece, like, just a general piece of, of Gwenham. Um, and the Chucks he did in that were, like, proper, like, big looking sized boots like he really um but but yeah no um jay like he, he, he plays around with it a bit but he does absolutely he keeps like consistent with that and a lot of the design elements that make gwen really strong um and i thought that was very uh i thought that was very very cool uh flaviano uh could draw a ghost spider ongoing and uh i would you know he's like one of my top picks for that so yeah uh definitely uh he gets he gets the way the character should look is what i'm saying um and that 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 really comes through, but yeah, and I like um I like the sort of adjustment that Sarah Pakelli made there in in the comic today. To sum it up, with the shoes, no ballet flats whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't want to be I, yeah I don't want to be mean about it, but yeah, definitely if 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 I could help it, always always the chick tailors. It's so much better. Well, comics wise, anyway, in media you can just go wild because you know it's creative license. Yeah, I suppose yeah that makes sense. So um, yeah, that's that. We got a lot of comments on this event. I think the most we've ever got. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Um, so we had a comment from at each year teen supers, um, which says, I still believe this crossover exists only because Bendis and Latour really didn't want to do tie-ins to Dead No More clone conspiracy, uh, the event and pitched it as an excuse to avoid that. Um, well, um, Chronologically, this, um, clones conspiracy takes place before Spider Women. I I think um, I mean in the reading list I've always put together, I've always seen it that way because clone conspiracy, while it uses a lot of Gwen's activity in the Web Warriors book, it doesn't really um seriously take. I still when you say chronologically, what do you mean like time of release? Timeline wise. Oh, let me let me look it up here. What was not time of release, just in universe. Yeah, no, I think I think in universe it would make more sense if that were the case. Yeah, because she um, doesn't mention anything to Kane about having to take her power ups. No, no, she doesn't, and like the like she'd need something on her to do that. Uh, I'm just I'm just looking at when these issues came out. Okay, uh, so Clone Conspiracy dropped in uh, the first issue was in October, and this arc started three months later so there's a bit of a gap there uh, there's a bit of an overlap what, what i would say regarding that is they, they already use gwen as part of the main supporting cast in clone conspiracy she appears in uh the amazing spider-man issues and in the main clone conspiracy issues um and even in one issue of prowler so like she's already being heavily utilized by the event and i, I could definitely see like there's still i mean there's still scope i guess to use her in a tie-in of some sort but i don't know i mean I'm going to go on a limb here. Clone Conspiracy is not a perfect event. It is no. definitely better than whatever this is. Um, yeah, and it, like <laughs> you said before, we are going to cover this one day, probably when we run out of stuff. Yeah, when we run out of the main sort of solo stuff, we'll do Clone Conspiracy. But um, uh, may maybe Bendis and Latour didn't want to do times to Clone Conspiracy. I could I could see that. But yeah, the, the overlap isn't all there. It is only about, I think, something like 50% of the run, so... Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things, I guess. Um, so uh, we've also got another comment here. Yeah, this is from at Okichobri. I felt that the kiss was purely for the cover and can't really blame them, but it didn't land in the narrative. Gwen always seems too put upon and busy for romance in this run. Yeah, 
Gwen is shown never to get any romantic feelings about anyone. Even she pushed away Miles you know, during the last scene. Yeah, I, I think um, but she she definitely does get uh, I mean she definitely does romance stuff from time to time. She definitely feels strongly about it, but the sort of the weight I think of the events on Gwen and her life, it doesn't feel like she's really got time for any of that like at all. And yeah, absolutely, I do think it was a marketing thing. Like the actual kiss in the story uh is obviously uh, there's a flashback right at the start well a flash forward i would suppose to the kiss but like in in context in the story i think it's only lasts about a panel and then it immediately cuts back to like gwen saying hold up no i don't want to do this and and the dissonance between the marketing and the covers uh with the the actual interior story and text of the comic it's it's quite strong i think and it comes through with what this i mean they named it sitting in a tree but it's really like the romance aspect of this is not dialed forward that much for it to be called something like that it's it it feels it's just more of a fling if you want to be generous uh with it barely even that i mean like they're they're interested in each other for what like five issues and then they kiss in the sixth and they immediately like decide not to go forward with it after that um, and and, that, and that's sort of like, that's the scope of the romance there. It's really like they couldn't go far with it, um, you, you know, even if they wanted to. It's just sort of the awful part of it, I suppose. And then there's also that discourse about Gwen being aromantic. I'm just thinking, no, she's just busy. Um, I, I've seen that headcanon and I think there's, um, yeah, I think I think there's merit to it. If, if that was the direction they wanted to take the character in, um, there's a basis for that in the story. Um, but absolutely at the same time, she is very, very, uh, you know, uh, like put upon the character as, as the commenter here says. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I, I it absolutely could go either way, but I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to shoot anybody down if, if they viewed Gwen as a sort of aromantic, uh, in, in her stories here, because it does, she's, she's really not into it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> at least in this particular one anyway. Yeah. Cause we're going to explore more of her advances down the line yeah yeah uh yeah we'll, we'll look at uh we'll look at the other romantic interests um that she ends up with um yeah so the next comment is from at Saxadik, uh which is uh, in my opinion the only particularly weak slash skippable arc in the entire original spider gwen run and i think i'd agree i don't know would, would you agree because I'm not sure if this is doing any merits for Gwen's character other than um, establishing that she's still working with Murdoch. Remember, um, he ordered her to kill the scorpion mm-hmm. like in exchange for more power-ups, but that's pretty much it. This is mostly a Miles yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, definitely Miles gets more characterizations overall, um, and, and Gwen's characterizations are a lot a lot fewer and far between and and it doesn't do a very a really particularly good job of establishing like the silk stuff doesn't really get used again earth 8 does get used again yeah i think um, the only uh thing to come out of this is earth 8 and and really does one want to understand the implications of earth 8 like is that something people want to read more about so you know i i do you know like wait i, I have been dreading this issue a little bit like uh, after having such like really nice arcs, like for, you know, like uh, past few episodes and and all that, then to then go to this, I've been yeah, it's not great. Um, so yeah, one of those things, I suppose. But you know, um, we're gonna get to uh, more positive stuff like after sitting in a tree. 
Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Uh looking forward to talking about next week. Um Um this is kind of a bit of a downer, I'm sorry, but at Soul Saber one twenty three, it was a waste of time and the romance didn't go anywhere. Well, I kinda agree about the romance not going anywhere because technically it's not really a, a romance, it's just a very, very short lived fling. But would you call it a waste of time? Um, I mean, it, it it depends. Like, I didn't, I don't, I don't hate reading this arc. Like, I still, you know, I enjoy these comics. But, um, I in the sense of, um, like, if you're looking for long term payoff from this crossover, then it's not there. Like, if if what you were looking for is like a a, a blossoming romance, that then no, no, this arc does not have any of that whatsoever. This crossover comic does not deliver in that front. If that was what this commenter was looking for. Yeah, I'm just thinking um, it's probably worth the reader's time if they're more leaned into Miles. Yeah, I think I think if you're um, if you're a Miles comic reader, there's definitely more payoff down the line. Like, and and I was thinking about, and I mentioned this to you uh, before the show, looking at the issues which immediately follow this um, and the consequences of uh, Jefferson going missing for several days, and then Miles also going missing looking for him, and the consequences that has for them going back home. Um, with Rio, who doesn't know about their secret sort of lives at this point, um, is is very strong, and like um, just the sort of tension built from this being a thing which happened, um, there is payoff in that sense, I suppose. And I'm thinking, if someone who was leaned more into Gwen was reading this, they can probably, well, with uh, her issues, just supercut uh, some parts, you know. Like you've heard of supercuts before, right? Like not the haircut place. Like if right. someone just fan edits a movie, they just take all of the uh, the boring parts out and then just Frankenstein it together to one a more interesting movie. Right. Like I know some friends of mine, they actually supercut Amazing Spider-Man 2. And they oh, said, okay. <laughs> like as a fan edit and um, well, according to them, the runtime is a lot shorter than the original Amazing Spider-Man 2. I can imagine whoever edited uh, the film had a real hard time of it, for sure. It's um. Well, one of them had a major in film, so... Oh, oh of course, no, I mean, in terms of... Right, right, of course, no, that's that's cool, that's cool. No, um, I think, yeah, no, ed- editing is, is a cool, cool thing, but yeah, definitely Amazing Spider-Man 2 in terms of, like, the amount of stuff they're trying to fit into there wasn't great and it definitely distracted from the plot they were trying to do because uh, remember how uh shailene woodley's mary jane scenes were cut from the movie do you think they actually did her a favor um maybe i mean it freed it up to go do that uh that hunger games ripoff franchise so yeah i suppose and like in terms of just like the film was so stuffed with like random plots as it was to then have another one on top of it and the thing is like Gwen only dies in the third act so you're not really finished the narrative hasn't really finished grieving for her by the time the film ends to be honest um and the idea of like Mary Jane showing up before then uh, you know it would have been a bad choice f- for that film maybe yeah I think if they had just Electro for the villain just leave out Harry and Rhino yeah yeah I think I think there was other stuff as well though like they were they were setting up that was just rough you know oh, but at least we um, get to see a retooled version of jamie fox's electro in no way home different version of the character yeah. by the way yeah no that'd be cool um 
Should we move on to the next? Uh, yeah, next, next comment. comment. Yeah. Uh, so this is from uh, Robert Labelle, uh, again on Twitter, uh, who says, uh, yeah, I was confused about the relationship, uh, mainly because Miles is supposed to be a high school student, Gwen is supposed to be college age. So was a mistake in the editorial process, or maybe they just chose to ignore the facts. And um, yeah, yeah, that's I guess we've kind of spoken about that already. In, and if this was a part of the editorial process or not, I wonder if they could do something like this accidentally, or at least accidentally long enough before they realized what they had done. Or maybe they um, couldn't catch it in time, probably not after until it was published, and then the editors couldn't catch that mistake until later. I, I mean, they're definitely conscious of it by the time that, like, you have an issue where, um, where you know, like, Miles explicitly has to state his age and stuff. Like, you know, there's definitely something they've given thought to, but perhaps at a point in the creative process where they sort of lost confidence in, in not going back on it. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. I think it is a deliberate thing. Like, it's a deliberate thing that they've aged up Miles so that he is... Per- that's, that's my personal opinion anyway, that they aged him up there. Yeah. Um, that's sort of where I'm leaning towards, at least. Because, yeah, because no one can get over the fact that it's a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old trying to get together. Yeah. We got another comment that's on a slightly more positive note. This is from at Von Smarsh. I didn't yeah. mind this arc at all. It grew on me over time, and I hope they return to it in the future and actually plan out the development this time instead of using it for gimmick for more comic sales. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree that for the part anyway that if they were going to revisit uh, sitting in a tree again, they should actually give meaning to it. Yeah, and, and uh, I think especially with something that's that can be sensitive uh, is, is making sure that the marketing is consistent with the actual story uh, w- would help. Because it does feel like they they saw the kiss and they really lent into the sort of um, shock value of that a little bit, uh, without really like like they use the gimmick for more comic sales, as Vaughn says. Um, but the reality is that they, they they probably shouldn't, you know, really do it like that uh, as often as that is. I do find that a lot with comic books though, where the marketing, cover art, and like solicit stuff doesn't really quite resemble what ends up being in the comic. Like that's not. You know, that, that often happens. Yeah, I think the, um, the takeaway from this is don't always trust the cover nor the solicits. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, but if they do revisit it again, at least this time it's a bit more reasonable because Miles just had his 18th birthday and Gwen, as of Gwen versus Carnage, she has to be 20 but almost turning 21 based on the timeline. Yeah, uh, she's she's young enough to be affected by the Outlawed event, which leaves her under 21. And, of course, there were extenuating circumstances, which uh, meant that she aged up uh, at least one full year in between uh, Spider-Gwen and, and uh, the Ghost Spider runs. So, um, yeah, I would, I would say she's definitely 20. Like, there's not many comic characters you can definitely point and say they are definitely this age, but Gwen definitely seems like she is, she is 20 and in the current continuity yeah and then um 
we've got one final comment from uh, Evan Reads Comics. Evan, Evan is like one of my favorite people, and so it's a, give Evan a follow. Um, I, who says, I, I do like the idea of Gwen and Miles dating in the movie. I don't like them dating in the comics. The event itself isn't bad, just overshadowed by their awkward pairing. And um, yeah, I think yeah, that's the right that's the right opinion. That's um. Yeah, I think Evan. I think you basically summed up our whole feelings about sitting in a tree. Sure, I think it's like you know, I don't, I don't hate like a lot of the stuff, but it's yeah, it's just that pairing just is done without a mind for the for the characters in a lot of senses, and I think it's it, it yeah, it doesn't doesn't really land particularly, and I, I don't think it's wrong to have relationships that don't work out, but um, the the ages have to be like appropriate, and it has to be I think, uh, handled in an appropriate way, and it like acknowledged in a more detailed way they don't give that um aspect of it time to breathe which i think is what it comes down to at the end of the day yeah and then there's also the factor of um only being together just because that's what an alternate reality wants you to be i'm like no yeah yeah i mean they they have that there is um something to reject i suppose yeah i think basically the lesson is have sensible relationships i guess yeah yeah um for sure um was that our final opinions well did we have um because we don't have anything else to say right because we pretty much gave what we could possibly say during our elephant in the room discourse i think so yeah i'm also uh i think it's also got 1am here for me so i'm uh running on fumes yeah running on fumes low battery right now um muting for yawns and such um so (laughs) all right so i think yeah we can just wrap this up here yeah um nice so next week we are actually going to be reading predators which will be issues 19 to 22 and it's going to be all about gwen traveling to madripoor you know that country as seen in the falcon the winter soldier if you haven't watched it already she's traveling with the hand in tow to retrieve the missing Harry Osborn ever since he went MIA during was it greater power that we last saw him uh yeah the the last we saw of Harry Osborn was was uh last issue of greater power yeah yeah so while she's trying to track down Harry uh, she also received some competition from the Earth 65 versions of Logan Wolverine and Kitty Pride. And meanwhile, Matt Murdock is plotting his next move for his agenda. Something about uh, next week's arc. Even though issue number 23, that's the Mary Jane's issue, is technically a part of Predators, we're going to leave that until the week after because uh, we felt that it could be covered as one episode. Yeah. Um, that's sort of like, uh, just put it into perspective, like there's like Predators is this big, big, arc that builds towards this big thing happening um and then the big thing sort of happens right in the last issue and then it cuts away to 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 spider-gwen number 23 which is like a one shot with a different artist and a co-writer and and such so yeah it's it's so far removed from that arc that we're giving it its own episode once we've done predators yeah and the same thing goes with issue 24 even though it is still part of Predators, it's even titled as a Predator's Conclusion. Um, it's going to be explored during our Gwenum episode because when you collect it in trade, they actually put issue number 24 in the Gwenum trade. So we'll cover yeah. uh, that conclusion during our Gwenum episode. 
notes. Yeah. And as always, we'll put links in the description of where to buy and read, the reading list, and the comiXology. If you had any thoughts on the show or any questions, you can send in your thoughts at ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com or you can follow us at Twitter at gsgroupies. There's also going to be a Reddit thread that's going to go on a while after this airs. And uh, yeah. Really looking forward to next week's arc. Like one of my favorites. The um, stakes and the character work are like top notch. Definitely um, glad to be getting back into it after after this week's arc at least. That's for sure. Yeah, because Predators just sets up something even more like heart pounding for Gwen and setting up yet another new status quo. Yes, sure. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been really good. Thank you. For this week's episode, I've been Abigail. I've been Pax. Bye. Bye.